Hello and welcome to Motorsport Week's F1 podcast series, Motorsports Speak, the show where we discuss about the latest that's happening in the world of Formula One. Tom Kent's your host with Jordan Haynes, L.A. Wilshaw and Jenny Craig. When it looked like everything was falling into Red Bull's court, Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fought back from 10th on the grid to seal an important victory in Brazil. Valtteri Bottas' podium keeps the Silver Arrows ahead of their rivals in the Constructors' Championship. As for Max over Lewis, the gap is back down to 14 points with three races left. Hello, Jordan. Hello, LA. Hello, Jenny. How are we? The Sao Paulo Grand Prix served up a treat, not just in the Grand Prix itself, but also in the qualifying sprint on Saturday. And it was some entertainment by all means. And, you know, it looks like, you know, Red Bull, we're going to have it, you know, after the disqualification for Lewis post the Friday qualifying, but that didn't stop them from... Uh, from retaliating and actually coming out on top. Jordan, we, we begin with you with, with your thoughts over the course of the Brazilian race weekend. I don't even know where to start. I think so much has happened. It's just, wow. Like, how can so much happen in just one weekend? Um, obviously, amazing from Lewis to obviously get in pole and then to be disqualified from qualifying to start P20 and then to come back and finish P5 in the sprint, and then obviously five place grid penalty, so he started P10 yesterday. Um, so, and then to go and win the race, it's just amazing drive. I think we witnessed one of the best drives of the season, I think. Um, but then Red Bull didn't, like, they gave Mercedes a fight. They weren't backing down anytime soon, which is what we want to see going into the final couple of races um so yeah really good weekend really good battles um and i'm looking forward to this week now yeah i agree as well and la no driver before this race weekend has won from lower than eight on the grid at interlagos that was before lewis hamilton changed that statistic a remarkable performance you know in the qualifying sprint from 20th to 5th got the five place grid penalty for taking on a new internal combustion engine and i have to say with his fight through the field that was just the sign of a, of a champion himself and an eight-time world champion possibly yeah i just i've got shivers i can't stop shivering listening to, to both of you speak um because you know as, as a racing fan and we've all watched racing for years that's why we all love it it doesn't matter what our age is in this group here let alone people that are watching and listening now um is that these kind of weekends don't come along very often and for him to uh absolutely demonstrate why he is a seven-time world champion especially after the season that he's had this season. It hasn't been the greatest season at all for the team. Um, they've, they've made some bad calls. They've had not some great strategies. They've not had the best car this season. Um, and his car was as equal to Valtteri's this weekend. And he has shown why he is that extra special world champion material. You know, even in Max, we know Max is world champion material. We, we It won't be long before he he might get it this season it won't be long before we see him getting it year after year after year um but to me the one person that's always been able to stop somebody like Max Verstappen is Lewis Hamilton and this weekend it wasn't just the one race you know it wasn't a bit of a one-off a bit of a fluke it was the two races that we saw and to come from the very back and to plow his way through the way he has you know we, we have seen this before don't forget don't forget we saw Sergio Perez do this in the Sakir Grand Prix um, last year and you know what an incredible exceptional drive that was too um, but for Lewis to come and do it you know from the back and to get that win um, especially I found I thought the Red Bull cars were quite evenly matched uh, this particular weekend I, I genuinely did it was Lewis that was different um, one of the drivers I can't remember who it was said he's on another planet and they were absolutely right he was on the world champion seven-time world champion planet this weekend and he showed it and it was two races he proved it um and just what an incredible amazing there's no there's not enough superlatives for this is there i think we need to make up some new words we'll probably look at the uh, dictionary corner even ask um what's her name susie dent from countdown perhaps we could ask her and see if we can find some more superlatives to see when to add to that um jenny i don't know about you but 
the Brazilian crowd seems to have fallen more in love with Lewis than they had done in previous years. I don't know what it is, but they seem to have fallen in love with Lewis more than they have done, you know, since the days, you know, when Felipe Massa was around. But I think since those days when Massa was racing, it seems like the support or the level of support seems to be leaning more towards Lewis than Max. Yeah, and it's nice to see them appreciating, you know, proper talent. And I think that crowd are really used to it as well. And I think as well, um, it's nice to see when Max has had so much support that there is still love there for Lewis as well and crowds like that. And I think going back to what everyone else has said, this weekend from him is one of those drives that like, I'll be talking to like my kids about when I'm when I'm older. Like my parents do to me with Senna, Prost and Mansell. This will be one that I talk about from Hamilton because it was just that incredible. And it's only the third time that Lewis has won in Sao Paulo as well. He won in 2016 and he won in 2018 and doing so for the third time in 2021. And for the second time in his career, he has won from starting outside the top six on the grid. The other occasions where he started 14th in the German Grand Prix in 2018 before going on to take the victory then. And I have to say, even then, I think this victory is more special to Lewis than the, the one in Hockenheim three years ago. So, run down on the race result in Brazil. Lewis Hamilton taking his sixth victory of the season. It's only his second, or third, I should say, in the last 15 Grand Prix. So, it's quite an astonishing that, actually. Max Verstappen coming out in a vital second place. It was a fairly decent result, it has to be said, for Verstappen, considering Red Bull's pace in comparison to what it was in Mexico City. Valtteri Bottas making it two Mercedes cars on the podium, so they lengthen their gap over Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. Sergio Perez coming out fourth and getting the point for the fastest lap. Charles Leclerc fifth ahead of Carlos Sainz. Crucial points for Ferrari, that's the third race in a row where they've achieved at least 18 points. Pierre Gasly seventh for Alfa Tari, Esteban Ocon eighth, Fernando Alonso ninth, so Alpine remain level on points with Alfa Tari, and on countback they are ahead of them in fifth in the constructors. Lando Norris taking the final points in 10 for McLaren despite picking up a puncher at the beginning. Sebastian Vettel was 11 for Aston Martin, Kim Raikkonen 12th, George Russell 13th ahead of Antonio Giovinazzi, who remains pointless since Monaco. Yuki Tsunoda was 15th ahead of Nicholas Latifi. Nikita Mazepin finishing ahead of Mick Schumacher. Brilliant movie made on, actually, in the opening stages. That's probably the best I've seen from Nikita Mazepin all year. Dan Ricciardo, his first non-finish of the campaign. That brings an end to his 34 consecutive race finishing run. Lance Stroll was the other driver to not finish. So you have to say Mercedes and Red Bull were in a league of their own. What about Ferrari, Jordan? Because it was a very important weekend yet again. And I think the pace from what we've seen from them since that upgrade that was brought in in Austin, I think it was, they have shown that they have taken a giant step closer or a giant step ahead of their rivals, McLaren. Yeah, since that upgrade, they have been on another level. You can't fault them at all. Um, both drivers done really well. Um, they're just, I think they've both got their head in the game and because they work together as well, it just adds so much more and they qualify close together. So it then helps when overtaking and stuff like that. Um, obviously it's not helping McLaren, but it's, it's what we want to see. We want to see more teams fighting together and Ferrari and McLaren have been fighting for so many years. It's still nice to see it still going that way. Um, but I am keeping my eye on Ferrari. I think they've, they're working their way to that P3 more, more and more. Yeah. Ella, your thoughts on Ferrari? It was a fairly decent weekend. Carlos Sainz getting a good start in the qualifying sprints. I think he was sixth on the grid, actually, and getting himself up to third place, which got him a point uh, for finishing third in the sprint. But um, I think in the race, he got a bit bogged down. The collision with Lando Norris didn't help, and he could only manage in a lonely sixth place, let's say. Uh, but it's still some good, decent points for Ferrari. And believe it or not, Carlos Sainz is now one of only two drivers to have finished in every single race this year. Yeah, uh, it's, it's well spotted by Jordan that they're qualifying pretty much together and they're pretty much through, through the races together as well. They're not necessarily finishing together, um, you know, sort of one after the other, but they're definitely... I don't, I don't know if this is on purpose, but they do seem to be working as a team and as teammates. It's, it seems to, they know they're not going to win the Drivers' Championship this year, 
they might have done early you know the first few races everybody's got a chance right but obviously as the year progresses and the year goes on they know they're not going to win the drivers so as a team or as drivers together they seem to be working together to finish ahead of McLaren and that's the most important part of this because it's not only for revenue marketing sponsorship it's for that position in the pit lane next year as well which is vital you know the position in the pit lane is is quite integral to, to, to the race itself and and so um you were you know you write about the finishing places the starting qualifying and the finishing places Carl, uh, Sainz was very much uh, he earned that third place that was really really great to see him finish in the sprint race in third and, and get his laurel wreath um, but then a shame to then see him drop down those few places in, in the main Sunday race but then um, Charles finished he, he gained two places he started seventh finished fifth so together between them they're eking as many points as they can for, for the rest of the best you know for the rest of the championship and, and I'm incredibly impressed and I'm, I'm really sorry in a way. I think we're all sorry to see any kind of coming together uh, between Sainz and, and Lando because they're not best mates. You know, if you listen to them being interviewed, um, you know, Lando kind of plays it all down quite a lot uh, as if, well, you know, I respect him. He's a great driver and we, and we get on well off the circuit. And I'm not sure they're busy mates and, and they go and hang out together, you know, all the time they still have to remain rivals. They still have to have that, you know, I want to beat you kind of thing. Um, but I think it, it's just such a shame that they came together. It's, you know, we know Lando kind of just came across a little bit too aggressively maybe and, and ruined his own race there. Um, and I think if he'd have just have not cut across, Carlos might have just have given him just a little bit of respect there as they did get to that very first turn. So we'd have got the position anyway. Um, I think he just misjudged it a, a tiny bit, which again, you know, I, I use this expression a lot, rookie mistake. It was, it was a rookie mistake, you know, cutting across and... So he ruined his own race, which was a real shame. Um, and I'm sure he's kicking himself for that. And of course, we saw Danny Rick retiring, which was uh, really sad, especially after the weekend before of him uh, you know, going down the order by uh, running into Valtteri. So, um, yeah, I think McLaren are sort of undoing things. The drivers are sort of undoing themselves a little bit at the minute. And it seems to be the, the Charles and Charlie and Charlie are... Um, winning <laughs> in the battle of maybe the, the mental you know strength i don't know yeah jenny um mclaren have somewhat dropped back from ferrari over the last few races and it seems to be that ferrari have got the momentum that they need now they've hit the form at the right time is it game over now in, in the race for the constructors or do you think mclaren have still got something left in there i think they have enough to be able to pull it back but I think it's like everyone else has said Leclerc and Sainz are on a complete another level but Norris I think the way that he came back yesterday even though he only got one point for it to come from so far back to finish 10th I think he had such an incredible race yesterday and I think he he didn't redeem himself but he did close he did a good job to get a point even though McLaren got uh, not McLaren, Ferrari got as many as they did. But Now, on to that incident uh, between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Uh, we'll begin with you, Jordan, because it all happened where Lewis managed to get into the slipstream of Max, pulled alongside, he was ahead before the corner, and by the time they got to the braking zone, Max lunged down the inside, and from how we saw it live, it seemed as though that he forced Lewis off the track and kept his position as a result of it. Now, we have learned that Michael Massey at the time did not have the relevant onboard footage of Max Verstappen. When I say the onboard footage, I mean the onboard that shows him steering. Now, I don't know if, if there's any, gonna be anything more to this because the fact that there was no investigation necessary at the time explains that they didn't have this footage, but should they have this footage from the Formula One management, the company that owned the rights for the footage, could that change things? I think it could. Um, I don't know why they didn't have the footage then and there. Um, I think that's crossed everyone's mind, especially Mercedes. Um, but then again, Lewis was okay with them not investigating it. He 
he said on the radio, he was like, of course not, of course not, that there's no investigation. Um, but then he said in interviews after that he, it was just racing. Stuff happens like that. If, if he, if Lewis didn't, they would have just collided if things went completely wrong. Um, so it's a bit of a tough one to see what's going to happen. Um, I don't think anything will come of it, but Mercedes might think different. Mm -hmm. And should the stewards or Michael Massey have the relevant footage? I mean, is it really possible to impose a penalty now? Well, I suppose if they can impose a disqualification a week after the race is finished, not to mention Japan 2019, Jenny, where Renault were thrown out for using an illegal aid to their machine. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure anything will come of it, but I think it's, it seems to always be the case that Lewis has to let go of things that give Max more room and Max will never really back out of it because like Jordan said, it would have been a crash if Lewis didn't go that bit wide. And I think Lewis said as well that he just kept calm because he knew he was going to get him at some point. And I think maybe Max should have just accepted it. But, you know, he's never going to because he's a racing driver. But I think it says a lot in this year that it's always Lewis that has to back down. But we don't really expect much more from Verstappen. Much less, sorry. So, but that's what we like about him. He's a great racer and I think... It was just racing, but I think it was a little bit too far. And, you know, it was a good job. It was a, um, it was a runoff area as well, um, LA. You know, back when you started watching Grand Prix racing, it would have been a gravel trap down at uh, Decida de Lago. Oh, I don't remember. It was like 500 years ago. Um, no, honestly, I don't remember what it was. Um, I, I sort of, I kind of agree. Yeah, definitely agree with Jenny how... Uh, Max is a great driver and he's a great racer and he takes no prisoners whatsoever. And I've seen Lewis drive like that myself, even the year, you know, it must have been his championship year or even maybe the year after when he kept coming together with Felipe Massa. You know, they kept coming together at lots of different races and, and Lewis was being incredibly aggressive. I think it was Singapore when they had a real uh, doodah between them. I think Massa came off worse from that, but you're the statistician and you're the one with the really great memory. Um, so, so, you know, I can't exactly um, confirm that. You'll have to confirm it. But um, yeah, you're right. You know, uh, Lewis does have to back out. As far as Max is concerned, he's leading. Uh, he's still leading the championship now, is yeah. he? Yeah, right. 14 points. Yeah, so he's leading the championship. So if they crash out every single race, now he's won. So he's got nothing to lose by pushing Lewis off the track. Um, I think in previous times, we have seen when a driver pushes another driver off a track, that that driver gets penalised, i.e. Lando Norris in the Austria with Perez. Yeah. Um, and he didn't even touch him you know, and he got penalised for it. So it seems to be one rule for one and one rule for the other. And I think that's what Lewis perhaps meant over the radio, you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> of course. Um, but Lewis did obviously know he'd get the place. He knew it. And I'm quite glad it happened because it made that overtake even more sweet when he did it. And, he, you know, and, and I think that everybody, the crowd absolutely appreciated that. Um, I do think it's a shame that um, from, I'm not 100% sure that maybe I've got the wrong end of the stick, but because from the footage that they had, their opinion was um, that they didn't need to investigate it further. If they had made the decision to have investigated it further, they would have then have looked on the onboard footage. That's what the investigation is. That's looking at all the different camera angles. So to have noted it means that they, they aren't necessarily gonna look at everything. So they noted it and decided that they didn't need to take it further. They didn't need to call for that onboard footage. Um, so that's the impression I've got from what that decision was, because if they are looking at the onboard footage, then that's an investigation. So they decided not to investigate. Um, it's a shame because, as I said, I, you know, even the commentators were quite um, feel like they wanted to see, you know, him steer the wheel towards him. But um, what was that? Was it Rosberg and um, 
Hamilton that came together that time and Rosberg's steering wheel was very much in the direction of Lewis and I'm pretty sure he didn't get penalized for that particular event but again you're the one that has all this information stored in that amazing brain of yours there are, there are a few examples I mean I remember Austria 2016 where it was on the last lap Lewis was behind Rosberg they got it to the Remus curve and Rosberg just basically turned into Lewis and um, yeah, clearly backfired because the front wing was damaged, ended up dangling underneath the car, which was totally dangerous because that could have flown off and hit a driver on the head. And um, because he was trailing around with a car in a dangerous condition, he was then later penalised um, for it. So uh, yeah, Rosberg ended up fourth on that day. Um, Lewis went on to win, which, you know, which was totally, um, you know, justed, if you want to put it in those words, you know, shouldn't really turn into someone um, at a corner like that but having said that they are fighting for victory so you know if you were in that position maybe you would have <laughs> thought about doing the same or something like that I don't know it's easy enough to say that you wouldn't say it but when you're sat there in the cockpit with the amount of adrenaline pumped inside you you think I've got to do everything I can to make sure I win this I may have to go with Boston just run him out of road and yeah it just kind of feels like um if uh Verstappen's behind Lewis he expects Lewis to get out of his way. And if he's in front of Lewis, he expects Lewis not to pass him. And that's kind of what this season's been been about uh, for me personally in, in what I've viewed. I, I mean, I, I do try and remain as neutral as I can. Of course I do. Um, but I can't help but have an opinion. This is why we're, we're all on this podcast, you know, and we're all giving an opinion. We're not complete experts in the field. We just have a, our own different individual point of view. And, um, you know, it makes it interesting and it's something to talk about, right? That's why we're here. Yes, of course. You know, we're all here to share opinions. You know, if people don't like it, that's fine. You know, liking someone's opinion and respecting someone's opinion are totally two different things. I mean, I'd rather be respected than be liked if, in that sense. You know, um, you know, and not everyone's going to agree with whatever it is we choose to say. That's the whole point of an opinion, you know, from each and every one of us. Going on to the championship then, because Max Verstappen, with the results as it is, his lead of 22 points, I think it was, before the race weekend, it's been cut down to four, uh, to, uh, to 14 um, over Lewis Hamilton. Valdir Bottas in third on 203 points. He's mathematically out of the running for the World Championship now. Max Verstappen has 332 and a half points. Lewis Hamilton has 318 and a half. Got to mention that. Sergio Perez is fourth on 178. He's moved further clear of Lando Norris, who is on 151. 27 points is the gap between those two. Charles Leclerc is sixth on 148, ahead of Carlos Sainz in seventh on 139 and a half. Danny Ricciardo, another race without points for him. That's only one point to finish in the last four for him. 105 points he remains on. Pierre Gasly finishing the points yet again for Alfa Tauri. He's doing a very, very good job this season. 92 points he has. Fernando Alonso in the points again for Alpine. He's on 62. Esteban Ocon in 11th on 50 in 11th. Sebastian Vettel in 12th with 42. Just missing out on the points in Brazil. Lance Stroll was is in 13th place on 26. Yuki Tsunoda in 14th with 20. George Russell, four races without a point for him. He remains on 16 in 15th. Kimi Raikkonen is in 16th with 10. Nicholas Latifi in 17th with Seven Antonio Giovinazzi has only one point in 18. Mick Schumacher, Robert Kubica, and Nikita Mazepin have yet to score a point. In the Constructors' Championship, Mercedes have extended the margin over Red Bull. The gap was one point going into the weekend. It's now increased to 11. Mercedes have 521.5 over Red Bull, who have 510.5. Ferrari are in third on 287.5. They are 31.5 points clear of McLaren in fourth on 256. Alpine and Alvatari tie on 112 points each, but on countback, thanks to Ocon's victory in Hungary, it's the French squad who remain ahead on countback in fifth. Aston Martin are seventh on 68, so they're pretty much on their own at the moment. Williams are eighth with 23, Alfa Romeo in ninth with 11, and Haas still yet to score a point this year. It's a long time since they've scored points. They haven't scored a point since the Nürburgring last year, with Roman Grosjean finishing ninth on that occasion. So the championship, 14 points is the gap with three races left. And uh, uh, Jenny, we'll begin with you on this. Hamilton wins all the remaining races, regardless of what happens to Verstappen. He is world champion for the eighth time. I don't mind what happens as long as it goes down to Abu Dhabi. And I think a lot of people agree on that because I feel like this season has just been so good to have a championship fight properly again. 
and I, I just think it'd be such a shame if either of them win it before Ravi Davi there's not this great battle like we want a duel in the desert and I just really really hope that happens mm -hmm. well the thing is um LA we've got two circuits which Formula One hasn't been to yet Qatar and Saudi Arabia and there's a reconfigured Abu Dhabi circuit and we don't know who's going to be the quickest no, we don't, especially at the next two eight, eight tracks. I mean, you know, the, the team's already sort of have an opinion on who they think will do better because of the, the temperature, the nature of the circuit. Um, but the Qatar circuit uh, coming up, which um, I think we're going to perhaps talk about in a little bit more in depth, um, is it's was built for motorcycles so I don't exactly know what it looks like to be honest I've not um, sort of looked at it in in any great depth and I think until the, the the broadcast teams get there and start showing us the track like Zandvoort uh you know may, maybe it might be like that narrow you know sort of quite wiggly um and I'm I'm really excited um to see these two new circuits absolutely and see who can dominate and you you know we know um we probably know there are certain drivers that take to a brand new track quite well because we've seen that during these times that we've had during this pandemic that the, the, the racing has gone to circuits that haven't either been on the calendar for many years or the drivers have never driven at so it's going to be really interesting um to see who again you know can rise to the occasion and can doesn't matter where they drive you know they could drive around a supermarket car park and they'd be good and they'd win you know or they could drive down the m1 and be rubbish you know we don't know we don't know what's going to happen so yeah i'm dead excited for this next two races yeah most certainly jordan how excited are you for the next couple of rounds with there being new venues you know we've had people trying out the new jetta circuit that was released in the official formula one game i've had a go at it myself i have to say it is tricky uh, but for Qatar, which is not going to be in the game because it, was, it came in as a late um, call-up in place of what would have been the Australian Grand Prix, what are your thoughts going into Qatar and who, which team do you feel is going to be the most confident? Um, I'd say Mercedes. Just from this weekend, they've obviously got the win, obviously Bottas in third. Um, everything went their way apart from the penalties this weekend. Um, obviously Bottas with the sprint um, and then obviously Lewis with his pole. Um, so yeah, really good weekend from them. So they'll be wanting to capitalise on it and go into this weekend strong with both drivers um, and try and get further ahead in the cha both championships um, as well. So I think it's going to bring a lot of difficulties this weekend, um, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how everyone does. Yeah. And whilst they are preparing for Qatar, George Russell will be most certainly preparing for his Mercedes integration um, come the tyre test in Abu Dhabi. So George Russell says he will be 120% focused on Mercedes immediately after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and will drive for the team at the post-race tyre test. Russell has been supported by Mercedes since the end of 2016 and has spent the last three years racing for Williams in Formula One. During that time, he has tested for Mercedes on a handful of occasions and most famously raced for the squad at last year's Sakir Grand Prix, substituting for Lewis Hamilton. Russell will race for Mercedes full-time from 2022 and says his integration will begin straight after mid-December's season-ending round at the Yas Marina circuit. With regards to how swiftly it will be, Monday morning after the Abu Dhabi race, it will be 120% focus on all things Mercedes, Russell said on his switch when asked by motorsportweek.com. I'll be driving the test afterwards. I will fly back from the test straight to the factory, do some simulator, meet some more people. I'm in a very fortunate position because I've obviously spent so much time with Mercedes as a team from 2016 all the way through until 2018. Whenever we see each other at the airports or at the tracks, I know them as well as I know everybody at Williams, really. I'm in a very fortunate position that I'm going into a group and a family that I know so well. Russell's replacement at Williams, Alex Albon, is set to have, is set to, have to wait until 2022 for his first outing for the team, with Williams not participating in the postseason test due to the lack of a mule car. Postseason testing at Yes Marina will take place on the Tuesday and the Wednesday after the race. 
The regulations outline that any team participating must run a mule car, modified to cope with the new for 2022 tyres on both days, with a 2021 race driver mandatory for one of the days. Teams must also run a 2021 spec car for a young driver, classified as someone with two or fewer Grand Prix starts on the first day of running only. Alfa Romeo is hoping to run Valtteri Bottas during the test if he is released early from his Mercedes contract. So a, a chance to really see how Russell gets on and it's got to be in a mule car. So what that basically means is it can't be a car of next year. It has to be a car from this year. And um, we'll begin with you on this, um, LA, because um, we all know that George Russell is going to be in the Mercedes car for next year. But it's a chance to really see how the 18 inch tyres are going to fare on these modern day Formula One cars. Yeah, again, I'm not sure if I'm getting my wires crossed. As I understand it, um, they have to run a mule car on one day. They have to run a 2021 car on another day. Uh, they have to run a 2021 driver on one day. And they have to run a reserve driver who hasn't had more than two Grand Prix starts on a day. So it doesn't necessarily mean George has to be in the mule car. Um, it could be that the new, the reserve driver is in the mule car. Um, you know, I know, um, I think it's Aston Martin that um, they're not, um, Lance and Seb um, are both having a day each, um, not necessarily in the mule car. Uh, I think it's their reserve driver that's taking that. So I don't know. I think that this year for, for testing, testing, first of all, testing isn't usually done by the Formula One drivers, is it? <laughs> it's usually like the young drivers test at the end. So it's going to be, I think, an extension of this season for that the Formula One drivers stay behind and do a little bit of testing. And I'm kind of hoping that they might cover it a little bit more uh, than they usually do as well on the television because that would be quite good to see them carry on when the season's finished and we all feel a bit sad you know it's it's actually we've got a few more days of formula one drivers driving around um so yeah i don't know what george is going to do exactly is he going to be in the mule car or is he going to be in the 21 2021 car um it makes sense that they're going to be in the mule car right so then they can try the new 18 inch rims but I don't know, Formula One's a strange beast and they've obviously got the pre-season testing as well to um, to come up before everything kickstarts again next year. But yeah, I, I, I kind of think that Mercedes will probably release Bottas if they're going to have George anyway. So why wouldn't they? Um, you know, and then Bottas can then have a little go in his new car for next year. And that should be quite good and quite interesting to see them already, you know, be in next year's zone. And it's a real shame for Alex Albon uh, you know, to, to not have a little go, to not be able to have a go yeah. in, in the Williams. But, you know, again, uh, he's a guy that can take it on the chin. You know, he's really stuck to his guns, hasn't he? He's, he's not allowed any of what happened at Red Bull, uh, not publicly anyway, to, to get in his mind, get in his head. He's stuck around. He's been in the background. He's made sure he's been there when there's a, a seat to come up. He's had a lot of support from lots of other teams and drivers and good on him. He's not allowed himself to, to disappear. So I think him not participating in the testing, it's, you know, it's just a box that they couldn't tick as a team, but uh, it won't affect him. He's a, he's a very decent driver and I'm looking forward to what he can do next year as well. Not to mention that so we don't have too long to wait, Jenny, um, before the new season begins. I mean, we expect to be in Barcelona before the end of February for the first test because they're going to be doing two tests, each being three days long. So that's six days of testing. And with George getting the chance in the postseason test in Abu Dhabi, it can only be good news for him to help him prepare for, uh, for 2022 with his new team. Yeah, and I think it's such an important thing as well because he's going from a Williams to a Mercedes and I don't think he could get much further apart so any time that he can get to adjust I think will be great for him but I mean he's already shown that he can do it and he did it in the space of a week at Sakia last year so hopefully Bottas gets the same because he's gonna have the opposite kind of problem going from a different car a completely different car so hopefully they can it'll just mean a lot more experience and they can be better prepared for next year. Yeah. Jordan, um, the Yasmina test, I mean, Red Bull and AlphaTauri have confirmed that they've got Liam Lawson and Yuri Vips in there. George Russell confirmed at Mercedes, you've got Nick Yellowly, which we'll go on to in a moment. 
so it's it, it could serve a, a I wouldn't say a treat but a, a good idea to sort of learn how these drivers fare with their new cars yeah definitely um more so the f2 drivers liam jury um there will be definitely people watching them obviously we've seen how they've been doing in f2 um but then to have the chance to drive a formula one car it's it's obviously special but a lot of eyes are gonna be wanting to see how they're gonna do how they handle the pressure and i just think that it's going to be a good couple of days of testing um, and yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, George Russell has been confirmed in, as part of Mercedes' uh, testing roster for uh, the Abu Dhabi uh, young drivers test. I mean he is still young, he's still a couple of years younger than me actually, he's what is it, 23? Something like that? Yeah. So um, yeah, George Russell in the car for Mercedes in the Abu Dhabi test. Going from Mercedes to a Mercedes powered team that is Aston Martin because Nick Yellowley has been given a chance in the young driver test. Now, Aston Martin will run its simulator driver, Nick Yellowley, at next month's young driver test in Abu Dhabi. Formula One teams will stay on after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix for two days of testing on the new for 2022 18-inch tyres run on mule cars. Only nine teams are set to run as Williams is not in possession of a mule car. Teams will also run a 2021 spec car on the first day of running for a young driver. Aston Martin will run long-time simulator driver Yella Lee in the AMR 21. Yella Lee, who's at the age of 30, tested for the team on track under its Force India guys in 2015, and then again when it was known as Racing Point in 2019. Aston Martin does not have a young driver programme in Formula One compared to some of its rivals, and has already locked down Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll for 2022. So I think the last time I've seen Nick Yellowley racing, I think it was in some sports car racing. I'll have a look at his CV in a moment. Um, LA, I'm sure you've come across Nick Yellowley um, somewhere before. And um, what do you think Aston Martin can really gain out of this? Because if, you know, if they've done it before under the guise of Force India and Racing Point, under its mule car, having Nick Yellowley with, Nick Yellowley with that amount of experience in the simulator can only be good things for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if he's, I mean, we all know there's a massive difference between a sim and between real racing, you know, and I, I, one of the first articles that I wrote for Inside F2 was um, on uh, sim races versus uh, real races. And, you know, there's a massive physical difference and the physical difference obviously has effects on the mental difference. So he's as prepared as he can be. Uh, for that circuit I'm sure but you know I think there's there's a difference in then stepping into a car and of course that Aston Martin is very different to the car he drove previously um, so I, I mean I, I think you know it's not racing at the end of the day it's practice sessions it's testing sessions you know they can be out on the circuit on their own the other teams you know might be in having lunch or you know doing something on the car so it's it, um, you know it's, it's just him driving around and racing around and um, obviously just trying to get the data back to the team and I'm sure he is more than capable of doing that. Yeah so Nick Yelly is raced in GP3 and just looking at his best championship finish in that I believe it was in, was it in 2014 he got his best result I think it may well be yeah because he got sick uh, he ended up sick for a team called Status Grand Prix who I don't think they are uh, I think they're defunct now are um, Status Grand Prix unless I'm mistaken so um but yeah, that's um, where he ended up. And then he raced in GP2 for Hilma Motorsport, competed in 12 races for them with a best result of fifth at Silverstone. And since then, it's been pretty much sports car racing because he's competed in the likes of the Porsche Supercop in GTs and in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship as well. So it's been quite a mixed career, I have to say, for, for Yellow Leaf, as, along with his uh, simulator commitments for the Silverstone-based squad of Aston Martin currently. Um, he's finished runner-up in the Porsche Super Cup in 2018 for a team called Auto Tech, FAC, spelled F-A-C-H. I think that's like a German um, branded team um, back then anyway. So, um, but yeah, Jenny, um, Yellowly getting his chance at, in, in, in the post-race, in the post-season test in Abu Dhabi. What can Aston Martin gain from your perspective from this? Um, I think it'll be good for them to have someone that's been there since when they were Force India. 
it helped them have a bit of consistency with their data but um yeah yeah so jordan with yellow league you know having another go in an aston martin sunson simulator to work for them do you think what do you make of this idea of the mule cars because even I don't maybe have enough of an idea what a mule car actually is. I mean, you may have a better understanding of how a mule car works in comparison to me. But do you think, what do you think the teams can learn from um, Abu Dhabi um, in this particular test? Not just Aston Martin, but all the other teams. Um, I'd say my knowledge on a mule car is probably the same as yours. Um, I haven't got much knowledge on it. Um, but what the teams could learn is just obviously what works at that time, um, what doesn't, um, fine tuning, just lots of different things. Um, it's, it's a bit of a tough one because no one knows how it's going to go. Um, so I think everyone will just be waiting to see like the first lot of the mule cars go out. Um, and then maybe they'll, other teams will do different strategies or different techniques in the test no one no one knows it's it's like uncharted territory for everyone so it'll be interesting to see mm -hmm. um so those are the stories for this week next week we should have um news in relation to Alfa Romeo's second seat um there are rumors going around of uh, possibly Guan Yu's show because I think there was like a poster or something um somewhere in China you know congratulating on the Guan Yu show becoming China's first F1 driver that may just be a rumor so uh, don't take that kind of word but should the official news come out this week of shows seats at Alfa Romeo being confirmed we'll make sure that Motorsport Week uh, cover that as soon as possible and we'll uh, discuss it in next week's show so we've got a question from Jack Berry. He's coming in saying, do you guys feel Max should have been given a time penalty for his defending during the race? Who wants to answer that first? I'll go. Go on then, LA. Uh, yeah, I do, yeah. As, as I said previously, there's other drivers been penalised for a very similar offence um, of driving somebody off the circuit, and he left the circuit himself. And if you leave the circuit, you can be deemed as gaining an advantage too. So, yeah, he gained an advantage by driving Lewis, pushing him off and also going off the circuit himself. So yeah, why not? Everybody else has done. It's not a vendetta against Max Verstappen. It's a consistency thing for me. So can we keep it consistent? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, consistency is an important part, you know, with the rules. And I think the fact that Michael Massey didn't quite have the footage when he needs to have done um, pretty much diluted the whole situation by, um, you know, not being able to investigate it. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't say we'll investigate it after the race because we don't have quite have the relevant footage at the moment. It may sound a bit blasé, but as long as they give the penalty, you know, when it, personally, I think it should have been a, a five second time penalty. So, you know, that's something that the stewards um, can look at further down the line. And if they do collect that footage, I don't know if they will open the investigation again. I don't know if that's within their rights to do that. Um, Jordan, um, do you think Max should have been given a penalty? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, just the consistency thing again. Um, maybe they'll look at it and think, well, because there's been so many complaints about it, um, next year they might think about being more consistent, but I don't know. I, I do, but I do think he should have been penalised, yeah. Yeah. And should Verstappen have been penalised, Jenny, that would have dropped into third behind Valtteri, wouldn't it? Which would have had big implications for the championship as well. So the stewards need to make sure that if they do get this footage and if they do feel that, hang on a second, we may need to investigate this again, that's going to have another say on it. I mean, I even remember back in 2000, well, I say remember back in 2000, I wasn't following, uh, following Formula 1 religiously back then, but Fizzy Keller, Sean Keller Fizzy Keller that is, um, he was awarded second in the race, but when the stewards reviewed it within the next week, it happened to be that he was given the race victory because the timing of the red flag came later than first thought. Um, I think if anything does come of it, I can't really see them going back on their decision. Um, but I think, like Jordan said, I think it'll be a thing of next year and in future cases that they'll be more consistent, or at least we hope so. 
Yeah, I think so too. Go on, Ella, you were going to say something. Yeah, I kind of feel like um, that, that Mercedes might protest if they lose their team championship because uh, with those extra few points, you know, it depends on how many points difference there is if they don't win the team championship. But if it turns out that they only lose it by those few points, then I think that this has to go further, maybe to the, you know, the higher court that they go to and, and onto appeal. But I, I kind of feel like Mercedes might appeal it before the end of the season anyway, just in case. And plus, you know, it, it could perhaps um, rock the boat a little bit anyway you know if, if they do that um but you know we i'm not sure if you were going to bring it up or not um because we're you know we've we've talked about uh the sprint and the feature race but you know we're forgetting about the moment when max verstappen actually touched physically touched the mercedes car which is an absolute no-no and um he gets a 50 grand fine that is obviously obviously 50 grand doesn't well it can't mean very much to him because he said oh well someone can go out and have a nice dinner i don't know about you guys but i have actually never personally spent 50 grand on a dinner um but you know <laughs> uh, so so to me he was playing it down it was like it was nothing well, uh, mocking he was mocking you know what happened and so if that's okay to go around touching cars great let's all do it yeah i mean he does live in monaco after all so that could well explain his point you know i'll spend 50 grand for a dinner or whatever it may be um but um you made a good point actually about the fine he got it was a fifty thousand euro fine which verstappen got for basically touching uh lewis hamilton's mercedes post qualifying so that was uh something of which Max was initially summoned to the stewards for before the punishment was given to him. As for Lewis, well, he got a disqualification for an infringement with the rear wing, um, DRS more specifically, where the gap was basically 0.2 millimetres more than what was allowed within the regulations. It's 85 millimetres is the DRS gap. That's the maximum. And it happened to be 85.2 millimetres. So as cruel as it gets, rules are rules at the end of the day. And... Uh, like the FIA though because they've kind of admitted that they're not policing the paddock as closely as what they should be it's sort of like well what can they do about it if there was nobody there to sort of stop Max and it is quite shocking that when you think those cars are in Park Fermi and they're not supposed to be touched that they can actually be touched so have any of the teams gone up to these cars and done anything or have they have they done something good to their own car have they done something bad to another car you know it, it, it opens this huge can of worms of speculation and um i'm it, this isn't sitting very comfortably with me when you hear your car those cars are in park fermi and you think oh great they're safe you know they're safe they're being looked after but how well are they being looked after in park fermi now this is a, a the question I think is probably going to go on into the winter break, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's not too long before the season finishes anyway, so I think the stewards will, will clear up something on that and then um, put together some regulations in regards to what you can and cannot do when it comes to either looking at or touching other people's cars. Because we do see team personnel looking at rivals' cars, you know, on the grid, which is which is totally fine. I don't have a problem with that personally. You know, Ron Dennis used to do that a lot. Adrian Newey used to do that a lot, but you know, we just, you know, put together a rule as to what you can and cannot do and just keep it as fair as possible for everyone. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking. It seems like there's something with the rear wings with a couple of the teams, though, doesn't it? Because there's been the, the you know, the whatever has happened to the Mercedes for that gap to be wider than what it should be. Um, and then there's the break and the crack in the rear wing at Red Bull. And then there's been an, uh, an allegation that they switch out their rear wing quite a lot over the Grand Prix weekend. But why are they doing that? Because not every single part on every single car is inspected after every single session. They might just pick one specific point. Oh, let's, um, let's investigate the rear wing on the Mercedes today, or let's investigate, you know, the front nose cone on the red bull today you know they don't investigate everything they don't have the time or the the it's logistically it's impossible so you know maybe that needs to become a little bit stricter or you know that if teams are noticing that other teams are switching parts out frequently over a race weekend why is that happening mm -hmm. i mean that, that's another point because um total wolf has been interviewed by uh the likes of simon lazenby and all that um, he didn't look too pleased with the fact that Rebel were allowed to change certain parts of their car under part Fermo rules. 
which um, got Mercedes scratching their heads and thinking, well, how can they be allowed to do that? That's um, that's that's you know my point of view of it. I mean, someone may decide to clear up on us. So if you do have anything to say whilst you've been watching this podcast, then do leave us um, a comment below, and then we'll um, we'll take that on board into the um, the shows going forward. We do love to hear from your um, from your perspective. On to Qatar then, which is a new venue for Formula One, a new country, new venue, but it's a circuit that's been around since 2004. That is the LaSalle International Circuit, which is close to the city of Doha. It's a 16 corner circuit, 5.3 kilometres. It'll be a 57 lap race. It's a clockwise circuit, six corners to the left and 10 to the right. So when was the track built? Well, the LaSalle International Circuit, located on the outskirts of the capital city of Doha, was built in preparation for hosting Qatar's first ever MotoGP event in 2004, with the circuit completed in just over a year. So the 2021 venue, well, well the 2021 race this weekend will be the first time that Qatar has hosted the Formula One World Championship. The country is signing an additional 10-year deal to host the sport from 2023. So what's the circuit like? Well, designed primarily with motorcycle racing in mind, the 5.4-kilometre LaSalle International Circuit is a fast and flowing track where medium and high-speed corners predominate. Over one kilometre of the track's total length is made up of the main straight, which provides plenty of overtaking opportunities into Turn 1. So in terms of the circuit itself, it just has the one DRS zone, which is on that pit straight, with the detection point just before the last corner. So, Jordan, we've been over this circuit um, in the past. Have you had a look at it further in terms of your perspective on it? Because I don't know if you've seen any motorcycle racing in the past, but how do you think Formula One cars will manage around here, considering the turbulent air and going through these slow and high-speed corners before they get to the pit straight where the overtaking opportunity to turn one is pretty much the only place where you can do it? Um, I've had a look. Uh, it... I have a feeling the teams are going to struggle. Um, obviously, no data. Um, it puts them on the back foot, what well, every team, but um, it's a tough one. Obviously, a long straight, which suits Mercedes um, quite a lot, as we saw just the weekend gone. Um, so, it's a tough one. I don't know what, how it's going to work out for the teams, but it's it's a challenge, like I said before, um, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Jenny, have you had a chance to look at the circuit yet? I've had a chance, and I want to stay optimistic until the race has gone. And we've had races before where we've thought that they were going to be a bit dull, and they've surprised us, so I want to stay hopeful. And the way that this year's gone, I doubt that it will be really boring because we've got a lot to look for so fingers crossed it'll be a good race yeah la um the sale is a new circuit to your eyes and bearing in mind 2021 is pretty much like a a one-off let's say because it was, was meant to be in place of what was meant to be the australian grand prix grand prix i should say in um, in melbourne and it'll be coming back in 2023 because next year there's the fifa world cup which is helped to accommodate, you know, post the Formula One season finishing just before, I think it's the day before the World Cup starts, um, the last race of 2022 in Abu Dhabi. But from 2023, it will be signing a 10-year deal, whether it be at the LaSalle International Circuit or on a street circuit in the capital city of Doha. This track, we just have to wait and see how Formula One cars go around there, but it needs to be given time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, first of all, that's one of the reasons why the season's finishing short uh, next year. Um, not because they're trying to be generous and great to the teams, but, you know, to, to get home for Christmas, but because of the World Cup. Um, but I mean, this is, even though it's a motorcycle track, it's still an established racing track. This isn't sort of a brand new circuit that's only just been built like Jeddah. You know, this is this is a, a grounding, you know, I mean, I don't know if they'll resurface, but this is a, a circuit that's been there for many years. So I think the Formula One cars will, will take to it quite nicely. Um, and again, you know, like Jenny, I want to remain really optimistic about this. 
this um you know there's a great one kilometer you know straight where they there's an overtaking opportunity straight away into turn one so that's obviously going to be very exciting for, for that first corner depending on who's in the first you know couple of positions and plus what we've seen now people people like Dan Rick being able to outbreak and Perez being able to outbreak so how is that first corner going to look and then you've got a lot of medium and high uh, speed corners and then there's there's an interesting you know there's sort of a bit of a recommendation that if you're attending that there's a great grandstand around uh, turn 10 because there's a, a fantastic sort of fast uh, turn at turn nine that leads into a breaking zone at turn 10 so that should be um, pretty interesting and exciting to see you know again with a very fast section followed by a, a very hard braking zone and we all know from what we've just seen, seen this weekend that there are some drivers that absolutely excel in these kind of um, turns and braking zones and that's where a race can be won or lost um, I think it's I'm not sure about the one DRS zone because I think on some circuits I'd like there to be kind of another DRS zone somewhere but then what we've just seen this weekend I didn't quite like the second DRS zone in Brazil because as soon as a driver had made a move and got the pass they then lost it again because then the driver that they've just overtook got the position back and you kind of think well what's the point in that but then seeing Lewis have a second attempt at that because obviously that's what happened with the first overtake move when he did overtake Max he then used all his driving ability all his years of skill and knowledge and made sure that he he actually um, outfoxed Max on that second attempt he outfoxed him because he forced him to make a, a couple of little cheeky moves and then he was able to get that position so you know the one DRS zone let's see what it does let's see you know if it if it benefits teams um and yeah I'm I'm quite excited. I'm looking forward to it. So it will be a night race as well for your information, folks. So just like with Bahrain, Singapore and soon to be Saudi Arabia, it will be 7pm-ish um, 7, 7 or 8pm-ish. So, yeah, I'm not sure what the sun will be doing at, at this time of year in the Middle East. But well, yeah, yeah, there's lights. It's a night race circuit, isn't it? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just running through the schedule um, for the times in the UK, um, practice one gets underway at, on Friday at 10.30am and then practice two at 2pm 2 later that day. And on a Saturday, FP3 is at 11am with qualifying at 2pm. So it's a 2pm qualifying start in the UK and in the race, it's the same time, 2pm, with a five o'clock start over in Qatar. So, yes, so yeah. So that might not be quite dark. Yeah. Well, we are. It is in the northern hemisphere, like we are. So it is. It's still expected to be uh, getting dark rather early over in um, in Qatar. Anyway, unlike in Brazil. I don't know where it is. <laughs> it's nice. Nice city. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's still, you know, it's it. We're we're in a Middle East, you know, uh, country, and there's there's a lot of uh, cu customs to respect. But um, yes, it's it's very nice. It treated me very nicely when I was there, and and the weather, of course, is warm and very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, considering that my sister is, you know, based over in the United Arab Emirates, um, I'd imagine that she's been over to Qatar at some point, and um, and maybe my uncle as well, because he's been over, because he's situated over in uh, in Dubai as well. So I'd like to think he's been over to Qatar at some point um, during his time in the Middle East. So um, some predictions for you guys. I know this is rather difficult because it is a new circuit for Formula One. We'll begin with you. Who should we go first? We'll ask LA first for this one. Why not? Um, who is going to be on pole position? And who's going to be in the top three in the race? Uh, you know, I got it spot on last week, don't you? Did you say Hamilton for Sapp and Perez? I said Hamilton to qualify and then Hamilton, Verstappen and Bottas. For oh, the yes. yes. So, yeah, yeah, it was Bottas who finished on the podium, sorry, not uh, not Perez. But, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, you got full marks on that one. Um, bone in mind, Lewis did uh, have that disqualification, which was rather unfortunate. So, um, so yeah, that's your pole sitter in top three. Jenny, your pole sitter in top oh, three. No, I'm not going with the same as last week. Oh, sorry, yeah. Go, go on then. What are you going to say? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm actually going to go Bottas for pole. And then I'm going to have um, Hamilton for the win, race win, Bottas for P2 uh, and Verstappen for P3. Okay, cool. Jenny, are you going to go with that or are you going to go for something different here? I'm going to go for Hamilton pole, Hamilton win. 
Verstappen second, Bottas third. Yeah. Okay. Jordan, your pole sister in top three, please. Um, I'm going to go for Hamilton pole and for the win. Um, and then Verstappen second, Bottas third. Yeah. I think with it being a new circuit and with Mercedes's records at um, tracks in the desert, I think they've got more confidence going into this race weekend than Red Bull will be. And I think they'll just edge them in this one, but it won't be easy. So um, my, I think, ooh, the thing is, Lewis hasn't been on pole very, very often this year. I think he's been on pole, was it three times? Um, starting on pole position, because I know in Turkey, he did qualify on pole, but went back 10 places um, on the grid. And of course the one in Brazil, which uh, you know was disqualified after the Friday qualifying, which was very, very unfortunate. But I think he can carry on that kind of form into Qatar. And I think it'll be very, very crucial considering that it looks like a track where overtaking is not particularly the easiest to get done at. I think he knows that pole position is going to be very, very vital. So I think he will end up on pole position and I think he'll win the Qatar Grand Prix ahead of Max Verstappen with Valtteri Bottas in third once again. So the same top three, as in Brazil, from my point of view. We'll leave it there, guy. Uh, leave it there, girls. Thank you to everyone that's been listening to the show. Next week, Ed Spencer, Nathan Hine, and Will Knight will be with me to review the inaugural Qatar Grand Prix at La Salle. From LA, Jordan, Jenny, and all of us at Motorsport Week, enjoy the racing this weekend, and it's goodbye. <laughs>